As a community, First Baptist Belton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sundays at one of our worship services at 8.30 or 11, and for Bible study at 9.45. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God. Well, good morning. It is great to see you, church family. I hope you are doing well this morning. My name is Logan Reynolds, and I get to serve here as the college pastor here at First Baptist Belgium. And so it's so glad, I'm so glad to get to come and to preach and encourage you this morning. For those of you who are worshiping online with us, we are so glad that you have taken the time this morning to tune in online and worship with your family alongside of us. So this morning we are going to be in the book of Matthew, so I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to be jumping around in the book of Matthew, so uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, but we're going to be looking at chapter 1, chapter 13, chapter 14, and then back to chapter 3, so you may want to buckle your seatbelt this morning. The goal for us this morning is to look at how are we as the people of God to embrace, to embrace the hope that will not disappoint. How are you and I in this room this morning, how are we to embrace a hope that will not disappoint? So that's, that's where I'm heading for you A-type personalities, you know where I'm going. So uh, several years ago, whoa, there we go, several years, several years ago, I don't know what just happened, but several years ago, uh, my family and I had the opportunity to get to travel to New York City the week after Christmas. Okay, so the week after Christmas, we get to travel to New York City, and uh, man, it was incredible. It was a magical sight, and a, as a boy from West Texas, uh, there is something special about getting to go to New York City the week after Christmas, and the special part about that was is you get to travel there, and all the hustle and bustle is, is come and gone, but the whole city is still decorated uh, as, just like Christmas, and so the lights and all of the stuff... All of the storefronts are decorated. I mean, it's a beautiful, wonderful sight. Uh, but my favorite part about that trip uh, was not Times Square, but it was actually Rockefeller Center. Uh, so uh, one evening, the family got up, we bundled up, and we went down to Rockefeller Center. And as we turned the corner to the, to the massive buildings, we saw the massive tree, this big, beautiful tree right there in the middle of Rockefeller Center. And, and man, if you've never seen it, it is an incredible sight to see. It is so full of hope and joy, and it just fills you with this sense of hope for all that is to come. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of that tree right there. As you can see, it's full of life and joy and hope. It's an incredible sight. And I like to think that every year I start off looking a whole lot like that tree. Right? Pretty hopeful. Hopeful for what, the, what is to come, right? Hopeful, full of life and joy and all of that, all of those things. I, I even think that I started off 2020 looking a whole lot like that tree. Maybe you can relate to that. But as 2020 is coming to a close, I find myself looking a whole lot more like the 2020 tree. So if you guys would show that for me. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad, right? I mean, you, you compare 2019 to 2020, man, the big, beautiful, full of life, and, and then you see what 2020 has done to all of us. Uh, we're a little, a little bit leaning, a little thin, <laughs> maybe a little exhausted, maybe even a little frustrated. But let me tell you, you are in a good place, and, and you find yourself in a good family of 
believers because even leading up to the first century, the people of Israel were feeling very similar. Very similar. See, we, our country has never been more divided. Maybe you feel that. Uh, whether it's on the political scene, whether it's socially or religiously, we, we've never been more divided as a people. Our future has never felt more uncertain, not just in a country, but maybe even as our church. And yet, again, the people of Israel leading up into the first century are feeling a very similar tension. They're feeling a very similar tension. So for well over 400 years, God had yet to raise up a prophet to speak to them. I want you to think about this. Over 400 years, think about how many generations have come and gone who have yet to hear from a prophet of God, who have yet to hear from God and, and, and to receive his direction. During that time, awaiting their arrival of the Messiah, of the king who's coming to, uh, right, to set up a political kingdom as they hoped it would be, you've got all of the people of God dispersing and dividing over different opinions and all this different things. So you've got this, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots all dividing over the coming of Christ. Who's it going to be? When is he going to come here? You've got uh, the fact that they're living under Roman rule. And if you know anything about that, what that meant for the people of God is that they were more often than not ostracized and oppressed. So they're living under Roman rule. And one historian, one author wrote, he says, it was a time of conflict and chaos, both on the political and religious scene. It was a time when foreign rulers influenced Jewish religion even taken the authority to appoint the high priest in Jerusalem. And subsequently, it was a time when the Jews' political leaders took that office to themselves. And so what you end up having is a, a cluster of who has the authority. And so you have this chaos that strikes all throughout the land of Israel. And the question that, that they're asking is, maybe a similar question that we are asking this morning is, where is God in the midst of all of this? So in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all that's happening, where is God? And just when Israel had given up hope, God answers that question in the still small voice of an angel in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, here it is, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Continues in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in the midst of the chaos of life, God breaks the silence with a still small voice of an angel, proclaiming the arrival of a king, the arrival of a Messiah, but not just any king, 
right? Not just any Messiah, but God himself. See, God does not provide us a political king or even a military general as we might expect, but, but rather, but God gives us himself in the person of Jesus. See, if we're asking the question, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this chaos? We, all we need to ask is, where is Jesus? And the answer to that question is, he is here. He has come. And he is among us, as the text says. In John chapter 1, verses 14, it says, And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. In this verse, John is summarizing what he has already stated in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And here it is, that the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. I want you to think about that. The creator and the sustainer of the entire universe has come to this earth, has put on flesh... And has stepped into this sinful and broken world to give us hope to redeem his people. See, God doesn't give us an ideal. He doesn't give us a word of encouragement. He gives us himself. He gives us himself. You know, um, I don't know about you, but my, my, my holiday plans have, have been, have, have been, have been arranged. Uh, it's kind of crazy trying to think Thanksgiving and Christmas, but, you know, COVID might have the ability to change our holiday plans, but COVID cannot change the reality that Christ has come. That Christ is here. He has come. And so that leads me to my main point for this morning, and that is this, that Jesus is the only source of hope on this earth. He's the only source of hope, church. He's the only source of hope, and he is the only source of hope who will not disappoint you. See, when the world tries to find their hope in money, in security, in titles, in family, in health, each and every one of those things will fail you every single time. The only one who will not disappoint you is Christ and Christ himself. He is our hope that will not disappoint but that's our problem. See, for you and for me in this room, that's our problem, right? Because I think if I were to take a survey of everybody in this room, so if, if I were to take a survey and say, hey, where is your hope? Where is your hope? I think everyone in this room, at least the majority of us in this room, would all, ha all say, well, of course it's Jesus. Well, of course my hope is Jesus. Well, where else would my hope be? But see, oftentimes for uh, well-meaning Christians, the things that we say don't always line up with the way we behave. So we may say that Christ, yeah, absolutely, Christ is my hope, but does your life demonstrate that he is your hope? See, it's one thing to be able to say it, it is quite another thing for us to live as though Christ is our hope. See, I think one of two things happens to well-meaning Christians. See, uh, we become like what Jesus refers to in the parable of the sower. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 22. It should come up here on the screen. 
In explaining the parable of the sower, Jesus says this in verse 20. He says, as for what is sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, I I think we come to church um, every Sunday, maybe even uh, throughout the week, we pour ourselves into the word and we are encouraged. We receive the word with great joy. But then it doesn't take us long to turn on the television and to click onto whichever news channel that, uh, that we prefer that our hope becomes clouded by the cares of this world. See, that's what happens, right? Or maybe it's your social media account. I don't know how many of you are, are trolling Facebook and spend a, a, great, a great amount of time on Facebook, but maybe it's your Facebook, Facebook account that all you have to do is scroll through there to see all of the cares of this world scrolling all the way through Facebook for you to begin to lose hope. See, here's what happens when you lose hope. Here's the trick. Here's what happens when we lose hope. If we were to go down to the bottom, bar- bottom of the barrel reason on why you and I lose hope, it's only one reason, and that's this. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And so the question that I would pose this morning is, how much time are you spending watching the news? How much time are you spending on Facebook? How much time are you spending consuming the cares of this world And how much of your day is spent with your eyes on Jesus? See, our hope and peace in the midst of crisis is directly tied to Jesus' daily presence in our lives. Our hope and peace in the midst of crisis is directly tied to Jesus' presence in our daily lives. See, I'm reminded by the story of Matthew chapter 14 and verses 22 through 32. Jesus, who has just fed the thousands and thousands of people on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, he gets kind of tired of the people and uh, probably tired of the disciples, and so he sends them out onto the Sea of Galilee. Jesus retreats to spend time with the Father. And it's there, of course, that the disciples find themselves in a pickle. They're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And verse uh, 23 says that when evening came, he, meaning Jesus, was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. See, the disciples found them in the midst of a crisis. They found themselves in the midst of a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee course that's how it happened when jesus is away and so they're in a place of fear and panic and anxiety and what happens notice what happens in the text jesus comes to them jesus comes to them see in the midst of chaos and suffering and fear and panic jesus doesn't step away but he runs toward. He runs to. He comes to them. He's walking on the water. And I want you to see what he says. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
See, one of the, one of the most used commands in all of the Bible is the words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, our hope and peace in the midst of crisis, again, is directly tied to Jesus's presence in our daily lives. Just after that, just after uh, Jesus makes his presence known on the Sea of Galilee, Peter, who I don't know about you, but Peter always makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Peter, in a, in a moment of confidence, right, he jumps out of the boat. He says, Lord, if that is you, let me come to you. And, and of course, Jesus says, it is I, Peter. And so Peter hops out of the boat and he begins making his way towards Jesus. And, and it's there where his eyes are fixated on Jesus that he's, he's doing it, right? He's walking on the water. He's walking on the water. And it, it's only a moment of time that goes by before in the corner of Peter's eye, right here in the peripheral, he begins to see the waves, he becomes distracted by the waves and the waves get higher and higher and higher. And it's in the moment when Peter is distracted by the waves that he begins to sink into the sea. See, it's when we become distracted by the waves or the distractors, so to speak, in life that we begin to be overwhelmed with the cares of this world. Because our hope lies in our eyes being on Christ. Our eyes being on Christ. You know, one of the surprising blessings of 2020, yes, I did say surprising blessings of 2020. I know that doesn't feel like there is much, but one of the surprising blessings that has come from 2020 is that God has used it to expose the waves, so to speak, in our lives. Those things that distract us, that keep our eyes off of Christ. See, here's what happens. There are typically four things that distract us from Jesus. Typically four things. The first one is control. We don't have any control. People who, who love control in this room, do we? Right, the second one is power. The third is comfort. And the fourth is approval. See, here, here's the deal. Here, it, it's really easy for me to keep my eyes on Christ so long as I can maintain a certain, maintain a certain control over the, uh, over the people in my life, my life, my future, my past. So as long as I can control my life, it's pretty easy for me to keep my eyes on Christ. It's pretty easy for me to keep my eyes on Christ so long as I can maintain a certain amount of power or influence over my life or over the world, the, the people around me. It's easy for me to keep my eyes on Christ when I can maintain a certain amount of power or a title or whatever that looks like for you. It's easy for me to keep my, my, my eyes on Christ so long as I can maintain that. And maybe this one will get you. It's easy for me to keep my eyes on Christ so long as I can maintain, maintain a certain amount of comfort in my life. So whether all my family is safe and healthy, whether I have a certain amount of income or security, it's really easy for me to keep my eyes on Christ so long as I can maintain a certain amount of comfort. Fourth. It's easy for me to maintain or to keep my eyes on Christ so long as I can maintain a certain amount of approval from the people around me. So as long as I can receive a certain amount of respect and love from people, well, then I can keep my eyes on Christ. But see, here's what happens. 
Here's what happens. See, when, when our hope are, uh, when our hope is placed in, in one or all four of these things, when those things begin to be squeezed by the cares of this world or by the circumstances of life, what those produce is what the Bible calls bad fruit. See, it's bad fruit. See, see, when we place our hope and we place all of these things in one or all of those four things, when life begins to press us, when we begin to be, be squeezed by the circumstances of this world, the, the only thing that can happen is that it would produce bad fruit. It would produce irritability, anxiety, anger, divisiveness, impatience, jealousy, self-righteous, or maybe even judgmentalism. See, we become judgmental, we become anxious, we become fearful. See, when our hope is in these four things, rather than in Christ, rather than producing good fruit, peace, patience, kindness, love, gentleness, self-control, rather than producing these things in the world, we produce these things in the world. And then, listen, and then we wonder, why do people not want what we have? We wonder, why in the world would, would somebody not want what I have? They don't want to be irritable. They don't want to be anxious. They, they don't want to be fearful. I, I can't understand why they wouldn't want that. See, the people of God produce fruit. We invite fruit into our lives by keeping our eyes on Christ and not the waves. And so God gives us a solution he gives a solution, a solution. You know, I think if we were honest, and I hope that we can be with one another, I think we have all experienced these things to a certain degree. We've all experienced those things, but here's the solution. There is grace. There is grace for you. There is grace for me. There is grace for the people of God. There is grace for the church. And I think that grace is found back in chapter 3 of Matthew. In verse 2, Matthew chapter 3 after years of silence, so after years and years and years of silence, God breaks, the, God breaks the silence to the still small voice of an angel. But he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just come to individuals, namely Joseph, but rather he comes to the people of God. And he does that through this, these words in verse 2. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Other translations say that this verse is uh, repent before the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the question that you may be asking, and it would be a good question, is well, well, to repent of what? What are you and I to repent of? You may say, well, well, Logan, I've already walked down the aisle. I've already repented of my sins. I've already received salvation. But what, what, what John the Baptist has in mind here, what God has in mind here, is that we would not just repent of our sins, but we would repent of building our own kingdoms. A kingdom where we reign on the throne of our hearts, where everything in our life is built on our power, our approval, our comfort, and our control. Recognizing that our approval comes only from God, that our power comes only through the Holy Spirit, that our approval comes only from Him, our comfort comes only from Him, our security is only found in Him. So we repent of areas in which you and I try to find all of these things, our hope, outside of Him. But it doesn't just start right there. It doesn't just start with, or stop with one-time repentance. 
But rather in verse 8 of chapter of Matthew chapter 3, Matthew speaks to the religious leaders of the day and he says this. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Another way to read this would be to say, in keeping with repentance, you will bear fruit. See, if Christ is not our hope, something else is. And when that something else begins to be squeezed, when it, when it gets pressed, it produces bad fruit. On the other hand, however, in adopting a lifestyle of repentance, so we're not talking about a one-time repentance, we're talking about a lifestyle of repentance, an everyday lifestyle of repentance. When we do that, daily repenting of our desire to rule our lives from control, power, comfort, and approval, what we are doing is replacing Christ back on the throne of our of our heart. So we're removing us from the throne of our heart. We're setting it aside and saying, no, I, I don't need me. What I need is a king, and that king is Jesus. And we, we put him, we put him back on the rightful seat of our hearts. And again, in doing so, in, in adopting a lifestyle of repentance, we invite good fruit into our lives. And so the question, therefore, I think that we must deal with as First Baptist Belton this morning is this. If somebody were to open up the book of your life in 2020... So somebody were to pick up a book and open up the book and, and begin to read the story of your life, what would it say? What would it say over 2020? Would it say this person produced good fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness and self-control? Or would it be a story of Fear and anxiety and frustration and divisiveness. Maybe even self-righteousness or judgmentalism. What, what would the story of your life tell in 2020? My prayer for you this season is that we would find our hope in Christ. That he would receive our hope. That the one who has come, who has ushered in light and who has pushed back darkness would be our hope and he would, and that would be his and his alone. That is my hope. That is my prayer for us this morning. Knowing that he is enough and that he will never disappoint you. When everything else in this world will disappoint you, when your Christmas plans change and you become disappointed, your hope will remain steadfast because Christ never changes. Our hope never changes and is a hope that will never disappoint. For when Christ is the source of your hope, no matter what comes your way, you will not wither, but you will thrive. Listen to that. Thrive. Who doesn't want to thrive? And I, I don't know about you, but I am tired of surviving and I'm eager to thrive. I'm eager to see you thrive. I'm eager to see us thrive. As the people of First Baptist, let's stop surviving and let's begin thriving. But that begins by setting our eyes on Christ and in him alone. 
Let me pray for us. Well, Father, we know that you are our hope. It's not necessarily anything new to most of us in this room. It is clear from your word that, Lord Jesus, you are our hope, and so we thank you for that. Father, I pray that we would be a people in the midst of chaos and crisis that sweeps our country even now, Father, that we would be a people who stand in the gap, who produce good fruit, Father, thank you for the peace that is ours in Christ. Thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ. Father, I pray that you would call us into a life of repentance. Not a one-time repentance, but Lord, an everyday kind of repentance, Father, where we usher in uh, the kingdom of heaven and we usher in our king and we put him on his rightful place of our hearts this morning. Because it's in doing that, Lord, that we will thrive, not just survive. So Father, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. It's in his sweet name that we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, he's been talking a whole lot about hope and you're going, I I don't have hope. Uh, My life looks a whole lot like a person who doesn't have hope and certainly doesn't have hope in Christ. If, If that's you this morning, listen, I would love to talk to you about what it looks like to have an eternal, secure hope in Christ alone. If you're also in this room and you're like, hey, listen, man, my life is categorized by uh, one that has placed my hope in some different things, well, and take this time as an opportunity for you to invite Christ to reign and rule on the, the throne of your heart this morning. So if you need Christ, man, you come. I would love to talk with you. I, we've got plenty of, of pastors who are, here in the, or who are here in the room who'll be able to help you do that as well. So you come. If you would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.